We are starting a new series today on the book of Jonah, and uh, we're going to take a few weeks to do it. And uh, if you're if you found the book of Jonah in your Bibles, you're probably thinking to yourself, this is a really short book. Like, it's two pages, right? There's one side and then the other side, and then you're pretty much done. And, uh, and so Jonah is a, a very interesting book, and it's usually taught as a children's tale, right? Uh, so if you know anything about the book of Jonah, if you've been in, in church circles for a while, then you'll know it's probably taught most of the time in Sunday school. And when it's taught, it tends to be a tale of a few different parts, right? God talks to Guy. Guy disobeys God. God gets swallowed by fish. Fish vomits Guy onto shore. Guy obeys God. Something, something like that. If you were to break it down into its, uh, into its smallest parts. The, the thing is, when we look at it that way, we actually miss most of what the book is about. And so we're going to be taking a longer, deeper view of this book uh, for a few reasons. We're going to be taking nine weeks to go through the book and, and kind of let all the themes sort of work themselves out into what we're doing as a church. And uh, the reason is because this is really our first foray as a church into the Old Testament. Uh, we really haven't concentrated our attention at all into the Old Testament. And so this is the first time that we're doing this. If, if you notice, you won't see the name Jesus in the book of Jonah. And that's because Jonah was written... Uh, seven to eight hundred years before Jesus was even alive. But we're looking at the book of Jonah because we want you to see, we want us to see as a church, that the entire Bible isn't broken up into two parts that have nothing to do with one another. They're broken up into two parts, one looking forward to Jesus and one enjoying the fact that he's here. And so now we're in the pre-stage where we get to see how the Bible and how God is unpacking, getting ready for uh, the arrival of his son who will change everything. And so it's a great book to do that. It's actually one of the best books that I know of in the Old Testament that does a few things. And we're going to touch on a few themes as we go through the entire book. But I want you to be aware of what these themes are as we go and kind of tuck them into your mind as we move along. And the first theme is that uh, we're going to see a lot about God and about who he is and about how gracious he is and how about how loving he is, not just to those people who obey the rules, but especially and particularly to those people who don't. And we're going to see that throughout the book. The second thing we're going to see is uh, is our hearts sort of unveiled and revealed before us as to what they actually contain inside. And a lot of the times we're not going to like what we happen to see inside because Jonah is actually a very good depiction of who we are as people. And so we're going to see this play out as we take a look at this guy and how he reacts to God. And the third thing that we're going to see is that God is on a mission in the world. He is up to something, and he wants something in particular. He is about a greater story, and he is playing out that story from beginning to end. And that story didn't end when the Bible ended. It actually includes us. We're going to pay particular attention to how that story wraps our lives into God's mission because that's going to be very important in terms of the way that we read the book but also the way that we live our lives because we want to be people who live changed lives. Amen? 
We want to be people that reflect what we read. Because if we just read it and we don't apply it, then we're not actually living it. And if we're not living it, we're not pleasing the one who wrote it to us. Correct? And so we want our lives to be able to be changed or be reflective of what we see in the book. And so we're going to pay attention to those three things in particular. And so I want to start out this morning as we kick off this whole series with a question to you. And the question is this. How many of you, if you're being honest, would say, I want my life to make a difference? Yes? I want my life to matter. I want my life to have an impact in the world. Most of us would uh, say that. And, and here's one of the clues for me that, that this is a, a common uh, aspect to all of our lives. If you look at the professions that we often want to be when we're really little, when we're children, more often than not, those professions have purpose in the world, right? And so name some for me. What are some professions that, that you guys wanted to be when you were kids? Doctor, nurse, firefighter, teacher, astronaut. Yeah. Those guys are awesome. Who else? Race car driver. I'm so, that doesn't have any purpose at all. I'm sorry. <laughs> What's that? Police officer. Superheroes, right. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great model. What do superheroes do? They save the world. Yeah, they have impact. They make a difference in people's lives. Um, even I think to a certain extent, like wanting to be a, a, an athlete is in some way bringing entertainment to other people's lives. There's something within us that is wired to want to make an impact in the world. And, and so, one of the one of the things that I wanted to be there's like 435 things by the you know from the time I was four to about nine uh, and that I had kind of ADD when it came to to uh, jobs and professions when I got older Monday it was this Tuesday it was that but the one thing that kept coming up over and over again that I wanted to be was a marine biologist and uh, I know that sounds really weird but I used to uh, I used to watch the Discovery Channel when I was a kid anybody like the yeah, the, what is the greatest week of television the entire year? It is Shark Week. You've heard me say this before, I think. It is the greatest week of television. It still is. It happens in August. I'm anticipating it greatly. Um, don't normally watch a whole lot of TV otherwise, but that one week a year is a very special week. But when I was a kid, I was just fascinated with the ocean. It's just this immense thing. Um, it just seemed to you know, stretch on forever. And the fact that it was filled with all kinds of creatures that we know very little about, just fascinated me. And in particular, I loved sharks, and I loved to see what they were about, and I loved to study them, and the fact that we don't know all that much about them just piqued my interest. And then, and then to see that uh, we had not done a very good job as stewards of creation over the oceans and were ridding the oceans of all of its predators and all of its fish just kind of broke my heart, and I figured... If, if, as a little kid, if you can study and research and then tell other people about how important God's creation is in this one area, then their hearts might change and we might have a better place to live in. So that was my little way, my kind of nine-year-old way of wanting to change the world. And all of us, I think, have that sort of built within us. And especially today, we live in a world where making a difference is a high priority, is it not? Um, we toss around words, even in the business world, like impact and change and transformation and revolution. And, and 
at the end of the day, I think it's because everyone wants to feel like when all the days of their lives are added up at the very end, that they will be able to look back and say, it mattered. It made a difference, right? And it's interesting because studies have come out recently that actually prove some of this, that we know uh, as Christians just by reading the Bible that people want to have this kind of impact. And it's shown recently that uh, if you put two incentives side by side for people, you say, I'm going to give you a ton of money to complete this task and do it with creativity, or you can do a task on your own that has that you feel has purpose in the world. Which one do you think is the better incentive? People always, this is this is shown recently, always are are far more efficient in their jobs when they feel like what they do has purpose. And it doesn't matter how much money you offer them. They will take less money to do a job that has more purpose because at the end of the day they feel like their lives matter. It's everywhere, and we're starting to understand it a little bit more. So let me ask you this. Does it feel like your life is making a difference in the world? Does it feel like you, if you were to be honest with yourself at this point in time, like your life is adding up to something that matters, that you're making an impact? Or if, if you're being honest with yourself, just in your own mind, your own conscience, do you feel like there's something blocking you from having impact? Does it feel like there's something that's keeping you from sort of reaching out for that goal that you have or maybe that you set for yourself to have an impact in the world? I want you to keep that in mind as we look at the book of Jonah because if nothing else, Jonah teaches us two things. It teaches us how to have an impact in the world and it teaches us the primary thing which keeps us from having that impact. And so if you're interested in all, in having a, di- a difference in the world and being that kind of person that adds up to something that matters, keep your radar on because you're going to hear it in this story. And so we're going to kick off just by reading the first three verses in the first chapter of Jonah, and it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I'm going to give you kind of the the big idea up front and then we're going to unpack the pieces as we go. But here's the big idea and I think it's written in your uh, bulletin as well. God does have a mission for you. He has a mission for you and only you can fulfill it. But God must do something great in you before He'll ever do something great through you. And the greatest thing that God can do for you is to defeat your rebelliousness towards Him. So let's kind of go through and unpack these things a little bit. The first thing is that God has a mission for your life. And maybe a better way to put it is God has taken hold of your life for a mission. And we see that right from the very first chapter for Jonah, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Here's a little bit about Jonah. Jonah was a prophet for the nation of Israel. And so his job as a prophet was to speak on behalf of God to the people within his nation and call them back to faithfulness in God. God had made a covenant with his nation called Israel 
And he said, as long as you uphold your end of the bargain, I will always uphold my end. And the thing is, God always did uphold his end of the bargain. He was always faithful. He was always true to them. But Israel wasn't so faithful, was it? It always fell off the wagon. It always veered off course. It always took a different direction. And so God would raise up from time to time prophets whose job it was to speak to the nation of Israel and invite them back into this covenant fold. To bring them back into uh, God's relationship with Him. And, and we see this in the life of Jonah. We actually don't see it in the book of Jonah, but we see it in a different book called Second Kings. It's in chapter 14 where Jonah is a a prophet under a king named Jeroboam II. And what happens under this time is that God says to his people, "Your, your king is evil and your nation is being led astray. And rather than condemn you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to increase your borders. And I'm going to use my prophet Jonah to speak out this truth to you. And then it's going to happen and it's my way of inviting you and initiating a new relationship with you. It's my way of giving a gift to you that you don't deserve so that you might see that I'm a great God and that I'm gracious to you and I'll welcome you back. It was a gift to him. And so Jonah gives out this word to the nation of Israel. What happens? It takes place just as he had predicted. And so can you imagine what this would have done for Jonah? How is Jonah viewed in the nation of Israel if you predicted that your nation is going to get better and greater and increase in size and then it happens? What happens to you? Yeah, you're a pretty popular dude, right? You become, you know, people get to know who you are. They start patting you on the back when you walk down the street. They shake your hand. They may give you extra money and say thank you, thank you for giving us this great word, you, you great man of God. He was a hero for his nation. And, and my thing is, he, he's probably feeling pretty good about his role in the nation of Israel. And so what happens at the very first chapter, the very first sentence of the book of Jonah, God gives Jonah a new commission, but it has a little bit of a different spin, does it not? What does he tell Jonah to do now? I mean, to get up, just as you did before, I want you to go and speak to a people to get them to repent so that they might see who I am. But oh yeah, I'm not sending you to your people, I'm sending you to a different people. I'm sending you to a different nation. And not just any nation, I'm sending you to the biggest, baddest nation there is in your neighborhood. The nation that's come to war against you three times already. And I'm going to send you to them because I love them. What? Are you kidding me? I'm a big shot, God. Like, we were on cool terms, remember? I I represented you. I told, you know, the people that you love here in Israel that you love them and it was going great. And now they love me and everything's going fantastic. You want me to go where? Not just to the biggest, baddest nation. Just to give you an idea of who Nineveh was, Nineveh was the capital city of the nation of Assyria. And Assyria was the most powerful and violent nation of that day. Just to give you an idea, when they conquered a nation, here's what they did to, to pregnant women. They, they, would, they would kill the babies inside of them. That's what they would do. And to small children, they would rip them from the arms of their parents. 
and they would throw them against rocks to kill them. We're not talking about a great place to live, right? A great people that's greatly deserving of God's grace. There are people by who were founded by a guy named Nimrod, for all things. I mean, you're not destined for greatness, right, if you've been founded by a guy with that kind of name. And yet, God sends Jonah to them anyway. and he, he, So he comes to Jonah and essentially says, you know these people that you guys hate so much? You know these ones that look nothing like you? Uh, I want you to go and I want you to tell them how sinful they are. I want you to walk right into their capital city of 120,000 people that's surrounded by soldiers, and I want you to tell them how much I, I hate what they're doing. Okay, God. Sure. Right. I'll be right on that. You wait here. I'm going the other way. <laughs> so what in the world does this have to do with you and with me? Sometimes we can kind of read the pages of Scripture and go, this guy's a prophet. He heard from the Lord. He lived like 2,700 years ago on the other side of the planet. It's got nothing to do with my life today. And here's the truth, though. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have been brought into God's family by His Son who gave His life for you and you've accepted that gift and are now part of this community, um, then you have been called the same way that Jonah has. God has called you in a very real way to invest your life in a Nineveh. And it may not look like the Nineveh that we end up looking at in the book of Jonah, but you have for yourself a Nineveh. You have been swept up by God into a greater story. Your life is now part of a greater, grander story, a greater purpose that God is playing out in the world that's larger than your ordinary, everyday life. And if you weren't aware of it, Jesus Himself gives you this commandment. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded of you. And sometimes we read verses like this and we go, baptizing, that sounds like something the church does. That sounds like something that happens in a building with a steeple on it at 2303 Evesham Road in Voorhees. Right? Here's the thing. It is a commission which is given to the church. Have you accepted Jesus? Are you part of His family? Then guess what? You are the church. You are the church. And if, if God should so choose to knock down these walls and level this building to the ground, the church still exists. It still stands. Because the church is you and it is me. But it's not just me and it's not just what we do here. That commission has gone out to you. If you believe in Jesus and you believe who He is, that He is who He said He was, and that He is on a mission to reconcile the world to Himself, then by association that mission has fallen from Him unto you. And so when I ask you, do you have a Nineveh? I don't mean in some kind of like figurative, like sort of esoteric kind of way. Yeah, I, we, I, I sort of say we all have Ninevehs in our own way. No, there is a specific people a specific group of people 
or person that God has or is or will call you to have an impact in for His glory and His name's sake. It's unavoidable. If you're part of His family, He is, he is at work in you to be at work through you. And so it, it may be your neighborhood and some of the neighbors around you, and yes, I mean that neighbor, the one that you know you don't like going to talk to because every five-minute conversation turns into a 20-minute conversation about their grandkids and how great they are, that neighbor. It may be that God has called you to that neighbor. Or a coworker, it may be a family member, but God has called you to someone. And here's the thing. Here, here's the thing we need to get our minds around. When you discover the, the person or the people that you were called to, and you choose to obey that leading, it will demand that you change in ways that you probably haven't anticipated yet. And what we're going to see from Jonah is that his life needs to radically change. He needs to change the pattern of his living if he is going to have an impact in the city of Nineveh. He can't remain in the normal patterns that he has been used to walking from his house to his grocery store and back like he does every single day in order to reach the people that God has called him to reach. He needs to change some things around, doesn't he? And he ends up changing them in the wrong direction, but he needs to change them in order to fulfill this mission. And in the same way, if you're going to be serious about the mission that God has called you to in the world, it will cause you to change in ways that you haven't anticipated. And so it may mean that you need to take a different job than the one you have that pays less but keeps you around your neighbors longer or, or puts you on to first shift instead of second shift so that you can be at home and have dinner with the people that you live among to serve them well. It, it may mean that you have to watch I don't know, two TV shows instead of six um, because God has called you to free up your evenings to invest in what He's asking you to do more often. It, it may mean that you can take one vacation instead of three vacations a year so you actually pay down the debt that's been accumulating over time so that you can start to use your finances in a way that supports the mission that He's called you to rather than keeping you from it. You see where I'm going with all this? God will call you to change in some fashion to take hold of the mission that He's appointed you to. And here's, the, here's kind of the, the truth. You may be saying, these kinds of changes, they, they sound like they're a little bit more radical than I can handle. It's not normal to make these kinds of changes. And after all, God will never give me anything more than what I can handle. And what I would do is I would, I would press you a little bit to say this. God does, in fact, give you more than you can handle. He does, actually. And the mission that He's appointed you, I know for sure, is more than you can handle. I, I really don't like the phrase that God will never give you more than you can handle because my life has been a picture over and over again of the fact that He does. Always give me more than I can handle. And the reason is because He doesn't want only me to handle it. He has given me His Spirit to rely on so that I could be empowered to live a greater life than the one I'm capable of, right? And that same Spirit, if you're a believer in Christ, dwells in you too and wants to have an impact in the world. Not only that, but He's put you in the midst of a community, literally a new family, 
who will challenge you and encourage you to live out your life in a way that was not possible before. Because here's the thing. If you can explain the quality of your life apart from the empowerment of God's Spirit and His community that He's placed you a part of, then you're probably not living it to the potential you should. If you can explain to others the quality of your life and it does not necessitate God's activity in you, you are not living up to the potential He has for you. You're just not. Because it requires His activity. And so here's here's the second part. Not only does God have a, a mission for you, God needs to do something in you before He can do something through you. We kind of see this for Jonah in verse 2 where it says, But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. So God calls Jonah to the greatest challenge he'll ever face in his entire life. The greatest opportunity Jonah will ever get. And what does Jonah do? He bolts, right? (laughs) You couldn't get more disobedient than what what Jonah's reaction is. God says, I want you to travel east to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah picks up and he travels 2,500 miles west across the Mediterranean Sea bound for a port called Tarshish, which is in modern-day Spain. It's as far away as you can possibly get from the plan that God had for his life. Here's the thing. You will always run from the mission that God has for you until you're willing to be changed. And what we see from Jonah is that initially he is not willing to experience change in his life. And so if we're going to take seriously the mission that God has for us, we need to understand that God has to change us. But here's the thing. None of us like to change. No one is really looking for change, are they? Nobody really gets up in the morning and says, gee, I wonder, I wonder in what ways I could change today. Most of us, if we're being honest, we want to live our lives the way we want to live them and we want God to bless our activity. We want God to come in and say, Whatever you're doing is just fine with me. Just keep doing what you're doing because I won't make any more demands on your life. None of us really want to change. And yet, if God is going to use you and He's going to work through you, He's got to do something great in you. And that thing that He does in you will require a great amount of change. And here's how you know. Um, When it says that, that Jonah ran from God, He goes down to the city of Joppa, and what does he find there? He finds a ship, does he not? Bound for Tarshish, which is in the opposite direction of the way that he's going. So Jonah, he gets up, decides to go in an opposite direction of the way that God has called him. He travels down to the city, down to this port, and lo and behold, there is a ship willing to take him in a direction that's opposite to the change that God is calling him to. How often in your life, or maybe in the lives of the people around you, do you hear something like this? God wanted me to do it because He created an open door for me. Ever hear something like that? Well, if God wanted me to, to move in with my boyfriend, why, why didn't He 
keep us from setting up this apartment where we could both move in together with such low rent and such a great location. Right? If, if God didn't want me to take a job on the other side of the country that removed me from my church family, why did He present me with a job offer with such great pay? You see where I'm going with this? It's the same thing for Jonah. Jonah shows up and there's a ship willing to take him in the opposite direction of the one that God wants him to go in. And in the same way, you and I will experience open doors in our lives that will lead us both towards God and away from God. And maturity is being able to discern between the two. And so we can't say, well, it must be God's will because I've been presented with the open door. Because it could be that that open door will lead to your disaster, not to your salvation. And the reason I say it that way is because all of us are looking for ways to live our lives that require the least amount of change and are the easiest for us to accomplish. It was far easier, was it not, for Jonah to get on a ship bound for the other side of the world than to walk to Nineveh and to accomplish the mission that God had for him. And Jonah found an escape hatch. And so all of us, when we're considering God's mission for our life, we will find, sure enough, ways to alter our lives in such a way that will keep us from accomplishing that mission. All of us will. We'll be presented with opportunities over and over and over again. And the important thing, if we're listening for God to speak to us in that moment is to discern whether this leads us towards that mission or away from it. Because not every opportunity leads towards it. It's something that we need to understand. Alright, and the third thing is this. Not only does God have a mission for us, not only will it require that He does something in us in order to do something through us, but the greatest thing that God can do for you to do in you is to defeat your rebelliousness towards Him. Verse 3 says this, After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish. To what? To flee from the Lord. Why do you think Jonah ran? He was afraid. Of what? Logical choice, right? Yeah, I'm going to go to a nation that hates us by my lonesome self. I'm going to stand in the middle of the city with no armor and no weapons, and I'm going to say how much God is displeased with His people that make a hobby out of killing babies. Yeah. That doesn't sound like something I want to do on my weekend. Um, and so that, that may create a lot of fear, right? It could be also that, that he was afraid of failing God in some way. Here's the thing, though. We're not really told why he runs. We're told a little bit later on, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. Um, you can read ahead if you want and find out the reason, and we're going to uncover that. It's going to surprise you, I think. But we're not really told at this point why he runs. We're only told who he's running from, right? And who is he running from? God. But wait, wait, wait. He, he's not running from God, right? God is everywhere, yes? He's running from Nineveh, yeah? Why does it say that he fleed from the Lord then? 
literally, if you look at the if, if you look at the little the original language, it says that he fleed from the face of God, from the face of Yahweh. He he fleed from his literal presence. He's running from God. He is rebelling against God in a major way. And so let me ask this. How do you know someone's a rebel? Do they have to have like a certain number of tattoos? Um, Do they need to ride a Harley? Do they have to have a certain kind of jacket that says rebel on the back? Like how, how do you know? They have to look like Kenny. <laughs> You're all thinking it, don't. <laughs> we love Kenny. Here's how you know. Here's how you know if you're a rebel. You will stop at nothing to remove yourself from the presence of God in order to get or to keep the thing that you desire more than God. You'll do anything within your power to either get or keep whatever it is that you desire more than God Himself. And so Jonah takes some pretty drastic measures, does he not? He gets on a ship bound for the other side of the known world. You think, Jonah, you could have just gone to the coast or gone, you know, taking a short weekend somewhere else, why take such drastic measures? It's because he, he knew that he needed to flee from the presence of God in order to keep that which was the thing that he wanted. So the question is, here's the question we have to wrestle with, what is it that Jonah wanted? What did he want to hold on to that he needed to take such drastic measures in which to keep for himself? Let's go back to the beginning when I told you a little bit about the introduction of Jonah. Do you remember his story? The prophet of God who made a prediction about how great Israel would be and it came to pass and so he was loved by all. My thought is Jonah had a dream for his country. He had a dream that he prayed for fervently every day and every night. He wanted nothing more than to see this dream come to pass. And this dream was that Israel would be a great nation. He wanted nothing more than to see his people become what God had envisioned them to become. He wanted them to be a great people. And he loved them. Here's the thing. He loved them too much. Because when God brought the opportunity for a new mission into his life that crossed paths with Jonah's dream, he runs in the opposite direction. He says, no, no, no. I, I, I won't be about your dream, God. I will only be about my dream so long as you give me what I want. We're on good terms. We'll be cool, God. I'll do whatever you ask of me as long as you don't ask me to do anything outside the borders of what I've already established to be your will. If you ask me to do something outside of what I'm comfortable with, God, then I'm going to run in the opposite direction because it doesn't accomplish my dream for my life. You see, Jonah's problem isn't just Jonah's, right? Because all of us, we have dreams for our lives. Like I said in the very beginning, we all want to make a difference. We all want to have an impact 
But we all want to have that impact on our terms and not on God's. And God will usually provide us opportunities for a mission which leads us to a different place than what we anticipated. I'll give you an example from my life. When I, uh, when I came to know Christ in college, uh, I started serving in my campus ministry at the time, and I felt like as I was reading my Bible, just this yearning to be involved in something of what God was doing in the world. And so I prayed and prayed and prayed about what that might be and what it might look like. And my idea of what that was going to look like was something along the terms of about a two-week missions trip, maybe in some other country. That God was going to use me on that two-week mission trip. Everything was going to be cool. And I was going to come back and then I can get back onto my dream. So I'll take two weeks of my life, God, and I'll live your dream. And then once those two weeks are over, I'm going to hop back on my dream and, and ask that you would bless it. Are we cool? Are we okay with that, God? <laughs> and God graciously but firmly said, no, no, that's not it. Because when I went to look for a job, he didn't provide it. And so over the course of a few months, he slowly taught me that he was going to use me not for two weeks, but at least for two years on staff with a group called Campus Crusade for Christ. And I said, God, this is too much. I, I wanted two weeks, and you're, you're, you're breaking the budget here. I'm a poor college kid, and I need to raise $30,000 a year just to live. I, I, I have no means to do this. Why are you calling me to this? And what I discovered was the answer was because you think it's too much for you to handle, and you're right. And I want you to rely more on me than you rely on yourself. And so I'm asking you to do this. Will you follow me? I said, okay, two years. All right, I can do two years. That's not that long. Um, <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get through two years. I'll live on rice and beans. Everything will be fine. And then, and then I'll get back on the, the, the track that I was, I was thinking I'd be on. And what happened? I got done with those two years. And God said, no, what you did on college campus, I want you to go and I want you to do it in the church. I said, are you serious? Do you know people in churches? Like, have you ever been to a church, God? <laughs> those people? Those evil Ninevites? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? He called us Ninevites. <laughs> I said, okay. I'll do it on one condition. All these other guys that I'm going to seminary with, they all want to be lead pastors. You know, They want to be the guy up front. They, they, they want to lead the charge. They want to lead their church. They got the vision. They got all this stuff. I don't have any of that. All I know is that I have a heart to see people come to know Jesus. I have a heart to serve people in the community. And I have a heart for people to, to really grasp what a life with, with Christ looks like and to be able to live that out in, in a way that pleases and honors you. So... If, if that's what it means to be in church ministry, God, then I'll do it. Um, just please don't ever lead me to be like the lead guy that's like the only guy on staff in a small church. Just I, I want to be on staff with a bunch of other people, bounce ideas off of, be part of a larger thing where I don't have to be the guy at the front. And God said, okay, sure, you know. If that's your vision, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that one for now. And so sure enough, 
you know, I got done with seminary and things changed and, and uh, well, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> yeah, no fish yet. So we'll see. That, that could still happen. Who knows? Um, <laughs> always, right? Um, every stage of the journey, though, if I'm just, I'm laying all my, my cards on the table with you. I'm, I'm not trying to claim I'm anyone I'm not. Um, I've, I've always been resistant to God in my life. I've always said, I will follow you only so far. I will do only so much. Um, just please don't ask more of me than what I can give. And, and God has always been gracious to allow me to live with that delusion for so long um, before he goes and wrecks my world with another step of faith. But here's the thing. I don't think this is true of just pastors. Because pastors are people who are sent to equip the church to do works of ministry in the world, correct? And so if we are a church that's going to be on mission, that mission needs to be sustained and put forward by the Spirit of God at work in you. And I've been called here to equip you for that work. And so when I talk about this journey that I've been on, I don't think, I don't believe that it's particular to my own story. I believe with everything that's within me that my story is the same as Jonah's and Jonah's is the same as yours. And, and oft, more oftentimes than not, we are resistant to God's call because we don't want to deal with the rebelliousness of our own hearts. We don't want to deal with God messing up the dream that we've got for our lives. We, we want to hold firmly to that dream and ask that God would come and bless it rather than saying, I'm committed to you, God, I'm committed to whatever it looks like to be on mission with you and wherever you lead me as so long as I'm with you and I'm for you and I I know that your presence is on me, I will go wherever it is you call me to go. So we don't live life like that, though. And the problem is, is because at some deep level, we're all rebels. We all have rebellious hearts and we all need that rebelliousness to be defeated by a gracious God. And so I would ask you today, what, what is that rebelliousness that might be lurking in your own hearts? What is the dream that you have, the picture that you have in your mind for your own life that if God were to tamper with it in some way, you would say, no God, I'm going to flee from your presence. We need to be serious about that because in order to get on mission with Him, in order for Him to do something in us and through us, we need to see ourselves as rebels and allow God to defeat the greatness of ourselves so that He might be great in our own lives. Jesus put it this way when He said, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow Me. For whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to save the dream that he has for himself, they will lose it. But whoever loses that dream of his own life for Me will what? We'll save it. See, when we're unwilling to lose our lives for Him, what we're saying in our decision is, God, I am more trustworthy with my life than You are. I can be trusted with the direction of my life far more than You can. And it's a denial of God's greatness. Last week we talked about different attributes of God. And one of the things that we said is that God is great, right? 
He is great. And what that means is, if God is great, then it means that He's in control of everything, including you and me. And if God is in control, then I can take my hands off the steering wheel and allow God to take my life where He wants me to. Because I can trust Him. And I don't need to worry and I don't need to have anxiety over the future because I can place my trust in a God who is worthy and able to take care of my future and to live a better dream than the one I can conjure up for myself. God is great, right? But when we take the reins back of our lives, what we're saying is I'm greater than you. And I can be trusted more than you. The thing that we're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Jonah is that God is a great God. And he has a good plan, both for Jonah and for Nineveh, if only Jonah will get on the right track. And it takes him a little while, as we're going to see. He, get, he hits some bumps along the way. He gets swallowed by some pretty nasty fish. Um, but in the end, God is faithful to carry out the mission that he has for Jonah. And Jonah kicks and screams throughout the whole thing. Um, but God does it anyway. And so I, I would just encourage you, as we end today, to consider whether or not you want your life to have an impact. And if you do, if you want to be the kind of person that makes a difference in the world, then I would encourage you with this thought, that God will do far more with your life if you submit your life to His plan and His mission than you could on your own. But it's going to take a cost. It's going to cost you. And that cost will come in the form of needing to deal with your own rebellious heart. And so as we respond now, I'm going to ask you to bring that before God and ask Him, what is it that you see in me? What is it that I've held from you? What picture of my life is it that you desire to change? And allow God to get in there and to start messing with your life. It will be the best thing that happens to you, I swear. It will be. All right, let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word, which when we read it, honestly, we, we don't just see you, but we see us for who we are. And so as we begin this journey through Jonah, I pray that uh, you would take a, uh, a short tale that we often reserve for Sunday school, and that you would allow us to see just how much we need to change as we read the story. I pray that Jonah wouldn't just be some guy who lived all those years ago that had no impact on my life, but we would see ourselves in him. And when we see ourselves, we'd see this, just how much it is that we need to be transformed by your Spirit and work within us. And God, we, we desire that change. I desire that change for us as a church so that we would grow to become people who would say, God, wherever you send us, we will go. If it's to my neighbor, then, then so be it. If it's to my co-worker, then I'm there. If it's to Haiti, then I'm, I'm on a plane, God. I'm, I'm going. Not because we want to feel better about our lives, but God, at the end of the day, we, we want to reflect the glory that you have for yourself. We want that we want others to, to see you for who you are. So 
So God, I pray that you'd impress on our hearts now what's keeping us from that dream. Where is it that you're sending us to go? As we respond to you, I pray that that would be the desire of our hearts as we bring ourselves before you today. We ask for Christ's name.